This is the Real Estate Shop, where each episode will bring you a top industry expert to share their current programs or projects that are making an impact in our communities today. Be sure to check us out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. In this episode of The Developers, we had the privilege of tag teaming Erica Keller, chairperson and CEO of Brooklyn-based Brides of Builders Corporation, and LaShawn Allen Muhammad, executive director of Central Brooklyn Economic Development Corporation. Let's join in. So how did you get into the industry? You could walk us through your professional kind of uh, maturation and, and how you became a leader. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, so I'm technically not in the real estate industry. I am a nonprofit leader who runs an economic development institution. So Central Brooklyn Economic Development Corporation is a 32-year-old hyper-local organization located in the Brownsville section of Brooklyn. And CBEDC as an institution was created by local activists and advocates to create an agency to provide a pathway forward towards self-sufficiency for community residents. Normally, you would find nonprofits like Central Brooklyn in the real estate industry, um, whereby based on the programs that they run, they may acquire assets, real estate, so on and so forth. Central Brooklyn hadn't uh, ventured into that arena per se until now. So this is pretty much our evolution um, in that in that process. Um, and so it's just a natural evolution, actually. And so, yeah, this is but this is our first uh, joint venture project with the Glenmore Manor Project working with Risa Builders. So I would be remiss if I didn't say that I was born and raised in Brownsville. And, uh, you know, so about 20 something years ago, worked with um, a colleague to start a nonprofit organization called the Brownsville Youth Association. And so that was my entree into the nonprofit sector. I'd already been you know, working as a public uh, servant with the New York City Health and Hospitals, but also always in the, in the business of education, workforce development, so on and so forth. And so um, when the nonprofit organization, when we started the nonprofit organization, brand new, uh, grassroots starting, you know, so that was my experience venturing into the nonprofit sector. 20 plus years uh, or so later, the Central Brooklyn Economic Development Corporation's uh, executive director was in the process of retiring and did not have someone to pass the baton to. And so I was also in a transition myself and, you know, sort of, uh, came into the agency as a volunteer, but really, you know, the mission was to make sure that an institution so, that's so important to Brownsville, like CBEDC, um, continue to keep their doors open. So I agreed to take on the role as ED six years ago. And so that was pretty much, you know, started a startup nonprofit organization, which I swore I would never do again. Um, it's very difficult, uh, 20 something years ago, um, and then, you know, uh, taking the baton about six years ago at Central Brooklyn EDC. Awesome. So you, you kind of grew up in the area, you know about the needs of the community, you understand the fabric, the makeup, you understand where it's going. Can you give examples of some of the programs that may be instituted to spur economic development and maybe talk about that from, you know, maybe a work, workforce development to maybe commercial development as well or from a real estate standpoint? Absolutely. So. Um, the other thing that I, that's, um, I, I want to note about the neighborhood and where we are. So I grew up in, in, in NYCHA, right? New York City Housing, the New York City Housing Authority, Tilden Houses. And in Brownsville, you have the largest concentration of public housing. 
they say in the country, but I venture to say in the world. There's no other place where there's such a concentration of public housing anywhere um, like Brownsville. So with that being said, you know, I wanted to I wanted to make sure that um, I've highlighted that point because that's where I come from. Right. So I was uh, fortunate to participate in a workforce program at 20 years old where we were um, through NYCHA, where it was a youth development program. And we were we went to school one week and we worked another week just to get um, experience working within the system. So that was my you know, experience and how I pretty much got my first job on Wall Street. So, and I say that to say, you know, your experience is really important and what, and really, what really drives what you do moving forward. And so the, the programs that we are running right now out of Central Brooklyn, um, we have an adult literacy program where we help community residents with you know, obtaining a second opportunity to uh, obtain their high school equivalency diploma. And what we've done is we've incorporated a workforce development program in addition to that, right? So when someone is, um, and most are adults who have decided to go back to school, but as, as we all know, life gets in the way. And a lot of times you find people who want to go back to school, but they have to work or they, there's childcare issues. And so we really try to build in mechanisms so that people are able to earn uh uh, certificates and, you know, uh, to get access to job opportunities while they are learning, right? So that's really important. And so that also is connected to the work that we're doing with Risa Builders because working with developers like Erica and, and others that are working in the community, we are able to get OSHA construction um, safety training sponsored. So our students are able to get free job training and then access to jobs in the community. So that's just an example of some of the work that we're doing um, within, the, within the organization. In addition to that, we also offer, um, we have a business incubator program where we are, and, and this is also very important. When you look at uh, the economy, the economics of a community, right? Business is what drives the economy. But when you look at our corridors, the people who are owning and operating those businesses do not live in the community. And so we are utilizing our business incubator to in increase the number of local residents who, who become business owners, right? Those local biz, uh, people who we also have a home ownership program in partnership with NACA, right? So we are helping people to get access to be able to become a homeowner to be, through our incubator to become a business owner. And so that's what's so, again, so important about this, the Beeville Hub, because that space is, it's a business center, right, where we are promoting entrepreneurship and innovation. And so the programs that we're currently running feed into that. And that's um, also in partnership with our academic partners, Mega Evers College School of Business and Howard University School of Business. So we are partnering with business institutions to make sure that those who are going through the programs get access to formal business training to make sure that sustainability um, is in place. Did you say Howard University? Howard University Executive MBA program. Yes, I actually sit on the board. Okay, how do you, uh, you, uh, you know, broker that relationship? Yeah, so, uh, you know, it was interesting that uh, that relationship was developed through Mega Everest College School of Business. There's there, uh, one of their lead entrepreneurship uh, faculty, Dr. Michael Crump, knows the head of uh, Professor Kim Wells, the head of the executive MBA program. And so based on the, our partnership, he introduced me 
to um, the Howard program, which actually sponsored me to get and um, become an executive coach. So, you know, I, it's, it's really important, you know, the, I, I want to emphasize the importance of relationships and, and how these, you know, so-called six degrees of separation, which really is about two, um, really work and why it's so important and critical to this process. Erica, can you tell us about some of the, um, I know you're second generation, tell us about some of the projects you guys have done um, and potentially in the pipeline and, and how you were able to make the connection in, in the partnership with LaShawn's organization. So my father um, had a long history of, you know, relationships with faith-based organizations and other not-for-profit organizations to do the HUD 202s. And so that program set in the late 2000s um, you know, around 2008, 2009, that's when the last HUD 202s were being built. And so at that time, um, you know, faith leaders started to reach out to my father asking, you know, what other opportunities did they have to develop um, on parking lots and other um, properties that that were owned um, in the city. And so, you know, New York City under Mayor Bloomberg uh, changed the tax laws so that churches that could no longer prove that they were using their property for religious purposes were then subject to taxation um, by the city. And so at that point, there was a real push and many of the properties in that period between 2008, 9, and 2012, 13, many of them fell into arrears in reference to taxes and such. And so, you know, when I joined the organization in about 2012, there were a number of churches stopping by the offices every day to have conversations with my father for recommendations on how to deal with tax issues or other issues of certificates of occupancy, which are also things that um, faith-based organizations, challenges that faith-based organizations face here in New York City. And so it was a perfect storm in that de Blasio ran on an affordable housing ticket and was, you know, promoting um, faith-based organizations that were in distress and some that were not to really, um, you know, offer their properties for affordable housing. And so I think um, what worked was that we had relationship again in the community um, and they were asking for help. And so we formalized that process in that I was an educator, right? And I was a principal before joining the family business. And so I said, we need to organize this in a way that we're providing information, not on a one-off basis, but on a more comprehensive scale and in a way that makes sense, that we're not talking developer language necessarily to a pastor who may or may not have had those experiences, but we're talking in a way that is understandable to the church leadership and whoever else is making that decision as related to um, the development, the potential development of their properties and how that would benefit the sustainability of the organization in reference to the programming and other things that churches provide for the community. And so we, you know, started holding voluntarily a monthly forum. We received support from the borough president, Eric Adams, who at that time assigned his staff to provide technical assistance in reference to zoning analysis and surveys of, 
you know, the borough of Brooklyn, which is known as the borough of churches. You know, there's a church every other storefront um, on some blocks um, in the borough. And so we were able to really, you know, work cohesively, use relationships, um, political support. And out of those endeavors, there are approximately, you know, 1,200 units of affordable housing that are going up around the city now or have been completed through those efforts of educating faith leaders on how they can use their property. And in most instances, these were churches in the African-American community because many of them were independently run churches, like Baptist churches tend to be, some of the Pentecostals, some of them were of higher you know, hierarchies or higher organizations, but they usually have structures in place that can provide those types of support. And so we were able to, you know, again, give that education, give the support, um, the technical assistance to help these churches um, in many instances, again, distressed properties be utilized for the overall benefit of the community. Um, and, you know, that's that's been our, our most... I think important um, service, you know, we, we are a developer and developers sometimes get a bad rap, but we have always been very grassroots and very connected to the community um, and very much wanting to ed use the government programs that are supposedly there to provide supports to the next level, to really use it in the way as such. I think over the years and historically, um, they have become barriers of um, economic mobility and for African-American people in particular, and not the doors of opportunity upon which they were first created. As LaShawn mentioned, you know, there is a, a very high concentration of public housing in Brownsville, but years ago in specific areas in Brooklyn, these were areas where you saw immigrant families coming in, staying there for a while and being able to move out and purchase properties and such. Unfortunately, as African-Americans then were able to come in and take advantage of those opportunities, there wasn't that same push forward. And so even myself now and looking at the low-income housing tax credit program, I'm evaluating the work that we do and I'm saying, is the narrative the same eight years ago that I have today? And probably not. And that is because I was a strong advocate for deep affordability. You know, 60% AMI and below is what you need for a 100% tax credit project. However, I recognize now that that might not necessarily be the most um, opportunistic way in which to utilize that program to provide affordable housing so that people are not spending more than a certain amount and can use their economics for other measures, right? But now how do we organize the policies and the laws and the regulations so that it really doesn't become a secular process, that it really is a platform by which to enhance the, the, the economic opportunity of that individual who's using the program as a way in which to grow, right? Because if we're gonna keep certifying people in the same income bracket, it doesn't make sense, right? right. And so also 
does it make sense to continuously support a rental market and not create real affordability for home ownership that can right. then ways um, create a platform by which people can grow and move on. And so I think my own narrative has changed as I begin to evaluate what are the services that we're providing to the community and how do we use this in a way that, you know, helps the economic growth of a particular group that has been disenfranchised. Um, and I think this project is a key example of that. You know, the whole premise of the RFP was out of a community visioning study. And so the community worked with HPD for a year before the release of the, the um, RFP to identify areas of additional need and support to help Brownsville move into the 21st century as other neighborhoods have. And so, um, you know, there were three large lots that were identified. One, you know, was identified as needing or wanting to provide arts and culture for the community. Um, and so therefore any proposal had to infuse arts and culture as part of the overall housing development. The site that we um, won was innovation and entrepreneurship. And that was the genesis of our, our relationship with Central Brooklyn Economic Development Corporation to say, how do we now take the services, the GED, the education, and how do we take that to the next level in reference to financial literacy and entrepreneurial incubation and programming with higher education institutions and bring that to the Brownsville community. And then the last site was identified as health and wellness. And so again, you know, um, horticulture and healthy living and eating was a key component of that um, proposal and very necessary in the community, you know, because you will see a Burger King every other block, right? But where do we, we want to see more community gardens and fresh fruit fruits being grown and 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 um and sold in the and so I think um there's a lot of work to be done but I think this project is a key example of how we can work um together to provide affordability that could be a platform for continued growth as well as other ancillary services um in support of that ideology. That's great. And I know LaShawn, we we uh we connected on LinkedIn. We talked about this great project a couple times before. Um, and I know there's a couple different components to it. Uh specifically, what what does the project entail in terms of say number of units for affordable? You know, what what does the actual master uh, development look like? Because I know Erica's involved in, I guess, the residential side. I think you mentioned that you're involved in some commercial. How does that all come together and what does it look like? So Erica can speak to the um, the housing mix, you know, um, on that side. What I can speak about is the 8,000 square feet of space that Erica mentioned that we will be programming. And what that will create pretty much is um, an anchor for the community where we now have. So it's, it'll be the first business center ever created in Brownsville, and it will encompass conference rooms, classrooms, space for um, cooperative working spaces, space for, you know, our business incubation programs. And so that pretty much, you know, describes what the, the business side looks like and where we will now have a place for community residents um, 
to come and get support, you know, not just to build their capacity um, and start their businesses, but to also get access to capital. Mm-hmm. There will also be a credit union um, in the commercial space of the building as well. And so that's a really key, uh, that was key to the strategy, you know, to make sure that all the, the, the pieces are in place um, to provide the community with access that did not exist before. And then, and then Erica, how many units of um, not just affordable housing, but just residential housing uh, are you providing and, and what does your unit mix uh, look like? So there's 233 units um, in the building in totality. Um, 232 units are available. There'll be one non-income producing super unit. So the building will have a 24-hour residential um, sprint. Um, we have a, what we're using, we had to rezone the site. And so we are using um, what they refer to as the heirs bonus in New York City, where 16 of the units will be set aside for seniors at EMIs of 50% and below. Um, and then we have a set aside for form, a 30% set aside for formerly homeless. So 70% of the 70 units um, will be for um, single adults and uh, young adults with families. Um, and so we have what they refer to as a 1515 subsidy award from New York City's Human Resource Administration to support those um, tenants as well as all of the tenants in the building. So because of that, we will have a full-time social worker on board, um, a caseworker, there are added amenities that the building can now have as a result of that programming where we have a fitness room and um, a, a computer. Um, and, you know, there's outdoor uh, decking in the back for family and congregants. There's about 9,500 square feet that we're able to have. There will be on-site social worker and caseworker that will have offices for counseling and other sort, sorts of support. Um, and then we also will have the availability to have the property manager on board as well. So we can sort of delineate between those who may be having some difficulties in whatever areas as related to finances, which may impact their, um, their rents um, and separate that right um, from, from the actual rent collection and, and such with a separate property management company. So um, in addition to those residential amenities and the residential component, um, we have Central Brooklyn Economic Development uh, Corporation on the second floor of what we're referring to as the Beeville Hub, where we put a lot of design in making this very much a downtown Brooklyn look or you know, downtown Manhattan look where we have glazing and we have you know, two-story vaulted entrances. Nice. Um, then on the ground floor, we have the credit union, which there has always been a dearth of banking institutions in Brownsville uh, for the last 50 to 60 years. So we're bringing a credit union in that has, this will be their fourth location. They have a history of providing um, education and financial literacy to, to inner city communities. Um, we have a partnership with um, a restaurant that will be brought into the community as well. This will be their third location, in which they have already existing successful 
um, operations in another affordable housing, Brooklyn in the neighborhood, not too far away, um, and as well as a hospital um, where they provide um, a cafeteria for, for the um, staff at a local hospital in Brooklyn. And um, we, our last is actually another organization that was grown in Brownsville. It's a group of women that not for organization and that not-for-profit organization um, will open a for-profit arm um, to support the health and wellness activities that the not-for-profit has. And then the not-for-profit will have um, some space upstairs in the community facility component to provide continued education and supports through their not-for-profit arm. So again, we're you know hands-on providing opportunity for businesses in the community to continue to grow. Um, and then through Central Brooklyn Economic Development Corporation, we will, there will be an opportunity for continued incubation and services. We're also looking for, there's been some conversation about having a radio station here. And so we have um, identified some space to, for podcasts and other sorts of um, media communication that we think would be great to have centrally located coming out of Brooklyn. Brooklyn's going through revitalization. Um, how, how do you guys safeguard against displacement as you look at your program and, and Erica, particularly what you're looking, you know, what you guys do in terms of development? So, 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 so LaShawn and I, 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 I chuckle a little bit because LaShawn and I have had you know, conversation about, you know, gentrification, right? And, and that is technically considered a, a negative word, um, but I that we have to think of it in a way of how do we look to the positive components of that and, and grow our neighborhood, right? Because in essence, it is a negative, right? It's, it's a neighborhood property values being driven down so that it could be, you know, reinvested in, so to say, at a very low valuation. Um, and so we want to, but however, when it's driven down and people come in and purchase at a very low evaluation, valuation, when they do make those purchases, then the, 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 outgrowth of that is to build the neighborhood back up. And you see, you know, improvements in, ref in reference to the schooling and in reference to the policing and all the other social services. And you see interest of, you know, the, you see the value start to escalate and you see interest in reference to businesses and such. So how do we capture the positive outgrowth of that very diabolical um, cycle um, so that you're not pushing people out, but they get the benefit of the improvements that are coming to a particular community that has been driven down over the years. And so it's a delicate balance from our perspective to um, ensure that there are affordable developments that are built in the neighborhoods that are being gentrified. And so it's very key to, we targeted specifically churches in, you know, central Brooklyn in the Bed-Stuy area that we knew were being regentrified and gentrified, you know, five years ago, four years ago, to say how important it is to offer 
affordability so that people who have been here when it wasn't so great to live in Brooklyn still have the opportunity to enjoy the amenities and the change that has been happening to this borough over the last you know, 10, year, 10 to 15 years. So we were very strategic in trying to partner with churches. Some of it had been successful. Some of it we weren't able to get done, but there's been other opportunities of, there, of such to develop and make sure that there is this balance that happens um, so that people still have an opportunity to, um, to, to benefit um, from the changes in the community. Um, and so I think in that instance, it's very important to advocate for deep affordability and, and affordability in areas that we see have been targeted for gentrification and where gentrification has happened. Unfortunately, we didn't have those types of relationships in Harlem, where again, I think that same push needed to be made to ensure that there's a balance um, and that there's a range of you know, opportunity for people to stay as new people are going to come in. Because once that process happens, it's very difficult to stop it in entirety, but I think there are ways in which you can, um, you know, ensure that there's fairness in, in who will benefit from the, from the improvements that are happening. Um, you know, another approach from a political standpoint is there have been um, electeds that we are very close with who have put up barriers, who have decided that they are going to mandate that new developments have a particular levels of affordability to ensure that the people who live in the community can access those housing opportunities because they know that they have relationship, they have family, this is where they have been. And so we also support those endeavors as well. Um, you know, we don't want to say new people cannot come in, but I think there does need to be some protections in whatever ways possible in order to ensure that everyone those who have been there can benefit from the benefits that are happening for our community because, you know, better schools, um, infrastructure being worked on and attended to, safety, lighting, more policing, all of those things are things we want to happen for every neighborhood. And so if those things are happening, you want to make sure that the people that live there, when it wasn't good infrastructure, when it wasn't good schools, when there weren't, you know, uh, preventative policing in a way or community building, you want to make sure that they have access to the things now that they exist um, and are not pushed out. From a timeline perspective, where are you guys at um, in the development? Is anything scheduled to break ground or? So we have, so the pandemic actually has created somewhat of a backlog in which the city was already experiencing because the mayor had run on, you know, a, an affordable housing ticket. We had a number of projects um, ramping up over the last eight years. So we were already experiencing a bit of um, more proposals than the city subsidies really exist to support. Yeah. And with the pandemic hitting, that just sort of compounded it. So a few projects that were slated to close last year and even the tail end of 2019 were pushed pushed 2020. And then with the pandemic, they've been pushed 2021 and 2022. Yep. So we're experiencing backlog. We do have probably about 500 units between 
Glenmore Manor, as well as um, some other projects that are slated to close within the next 18 months. Um, and then on the tail end of that, in terms of projects that are completing construction, we were pretty much able to keep construction going through the pandemic because affordable housing was considered an essential construction. However, the ancillary support services that we need, there was some slowdown um, in reference to forest and people actually getting ill and such, but there's been volatility now in reference to the market where, you know, kitchen cabinets were delayed in terms of manufacturing and being able to install them. And, you know, the, the utilities are a big issue here because there's a backlog in New York. So we actually have a building waiting for 197 residents. We actually have a TCO, but we do not have permanent power. And so we cannot move tenants in mm. until power. And as you know, you know how important that is for a lie tech that once you have TCO mm. yeah. to get those tenants in the building. So, wow. yeah, interesting um, to, to keep it moving, um, and to keep people, you know, uh, keep this properly governed process. Yeah, that, that, that becomes a tax credit adjuster issue with the whole timing of the folks coming. Exactly. Yeah, yep. It's the reason why I don't have too much hair. So. <laughs> 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 um, where do you see Central Brooklyn and Brownsville at five years from now? You mean as an agency? Uh, as a community, just the benefits of what you're doing. Um, you know, the potentials of gentrification. Just where where do you see that? Is it going to be a different? neighborhood um than it is now because i'm doing similar stuff in the philadelphia that's equally as blighted and it's like okay what place look like at the end of the day um yeah uh you know it's interesting um i also chuckled around the world word gentrification actually erica myself uh nia rock um from uh and uh forget which bank i'm sorry she's um a, a banker and uh, Valerie White from Lisk were all part of, and Dion Grayman from We Run Brownsville, we were all part of a panel discussion and we the topic was redefining gentrification. So that's the space that I love to be in, right? And so we talk about this all the time and Central Brooklyn in five years will be, look, the landscape will look very different. You'll see more buildings like this being built, but if we have anything to do with it, right? Which we will, you will see the people, as Erica mentioned, who currently live there in these spaces, working, living, you know, prayerfully laughing, right? And not being, you know, having a real quality of life. And that's what we really want to, you know, make sure that this work that we're doing um, will move the needle on poverty. You'll see more people employed. You know, we're doing a lot of work around the uh, supporting the, the workforce, as I mentioned earlier, with the the OSHA training, the trades training. And so like we, we working with our community board, we, uh, I, and I have to state this, I know we were wrapping up, but we are literally building the infrastructure in the community that needs to be in place to make sure that community residents are not displaced. So working with our local city hall, <laughs> what we like to refer to community board 16 in Brownsville as, to, so they've created an, a, a structure where now Central Brooklyn as an agency is working with all of the developers 
to create community benefit agreements to ensure that there is funding available to support the training. We also have uh, now been um, supported by foundations. So we get funding from Robinhood uh, through the Economic Mobility Labs Initiative that is supporting the work that needs to happen to build the pipeline for the people who will be served by the Beville Hub, right? And so, and we actually call it the Brownsville Hub Cooperative. That's nice. critical, right? And what, as well as we're getting support from the New York Women's Foundation, supporting our entrepreneurship uh, efforts specifically around women. And all of this, you know, work will, we will see the impacts five years from now. And the last thing I wanted to say is regarding the work and how Erica and I began working together. Erica mentioned that there was this process, a uh, year long planning process, right? And one of the, towards the end of that process, nonprofit organizations were, there was an event where we had the opportunity to meet with all the potential developers. And you could literally as a nonprofit be part of anybody's application, right? It's like, you know, try to get in where you fit in. And I was adamant. Erica was the only black woman developer within the whole group of people who were, who was planning to submit a proposal. And she was the only person that we wanted to work with. That was, so that was intentional. So we, and I, so I, I'm saying that as an example, we are very intentional about this work and what we're doing and creating the strategy to make sure that we are successful. No, I thank you for the opportunity to have this conversation. And um, I look forward to the continued evolution of low-income housing tax credits so that it really brings about uh, economic empowerment, particularly for people of color. <laughs> yep. So pleasure to meet all of you. Content they can't get anywhere else.